Today's show is brought to you by Donors Trust, the community foundation for the liberty movement. If you want to support groups committed to limited government, personal responsibility, and free enterprise with your charitable giving, you should learn how Donors Trust can simplify your giving. Go to DonorsTrust.org slash Ricochet right now to get your free Investing in Liberty guide. Okay, folks. Well, welcome back. Uh, we got a great series of interviews coming up for you we want you to listen to. But first, uh, a couple thoughts about some things, uh, things in the air, things that are out there. Um, and a friend of mine said to me, man, what do you think about Alabama? That's something, isn't it? I said, yeah, I don't know who's going to win the Iron Bowl. Uh, Auburn or Alabama. Oh, oh, you meant the other thing, the Roy Moore thing. Tells you where people's minds are. That's where my mind is. I don't know. I'm, uh, you know, I've been a big stalwart of Alabama, but I think Auburn's got a real shot here. Just to just to speak of that. As to Roy Moore, you know, you will hear in the interview with uh, John Hinderocker coming up. Hinderocker makes a very good point. You've you've heard me before, folks, say that. You know, in assessing a man, you take a man in the totality of his actions. Um, and you've also heard me say uh, every uh, every sinner has a future, every saint has a past. They, uh, of course, the critics of, uh, of Roy Moore talk about the fact that uh, he had a heck of a past 40, more than 40 years ago. Um, people support him might say, yeah, he might have been a sinner, but l- look at this. I mean, Hinderocker says, is this the best they could do on Roy Moore was stuff from 40 years ago? Not that it isn't serious and not that these uh, charges and notions aren't serious. They are. But has the guy lived uh, clean for 40 years and uh, they couldn't find any blemish in the last 40 years? That's pretty interesting. Look, it's not up to me. It's not up to the Washington Post. It's not up to Mitch McConnell. It's not up to anybody. It's up to the people of Alabama to decide this. And they need to decide what they want to do. That's a little complicated. Because if you don't like more, uh, and, you know, the stuff that I've heard bothers me. I, I, I still have not heard an, a, a response to the uh, statement that he was barred from going near shopping centers in his early 30s because of his tendency to talk to very young girls when he did. That's very bothersome to me. I don't like that at all. I don't like the sound of that at all. I don't like the feel of that at all. But, um, uh, you know, you've got that, and then you've got 40 years of what appears to be a pretty good character record. Um, You know, not many people can say for 40 years there's anything that if the Washington Post were looking you over, you'd, uh, you know, you you wouldn't be embarrassed to hear about. Uh, I've been looked over by the Washington Post. I remember way back when, when people were talking about me for the cabinet and people were talking about me for other jobs. You know, they were all over uh, Austin, Texas and New York and every place I'd lived, uh, scouring, you know, uh, opinion, getting everything they could. So there's uh, there's Roy Moore. I'm bothered by it. Would I support him if I were in Alabama? I don't know. Uh, but I'd, I'd have to weigh the following. If I don't vote for Roy Moore, is there a reasonable alternative that I can keep in conservative hands? If you start a write-in campaign, uh, can it work? Can you make it work? Or do you end up splitting between Roy Moore getting, you know, 30% of the vote, a write-in campaign getting 30% of the vote, and 40% go to the Democrat, and then he eventually wins. So what are my reasonable alternatives? Let's say it's Stark, and it's Roy Moore um, with all the uh, warts and all uh, versus a Democrat. Um, my, my inclination today would be to say I would go with Roy Moore. 
uh, yeah, hesitation, worry, concerns. Yeah, I wrote the Book of Virtues. But boy, it's a close vote in the Senate. And three years, you know, as people say, hold your nose and vote. Put him in, and then if you want, and if there's some echoes of previous bad behavior, put someone else in there. But uh, I think that's how I see it. Chris, give me your reaction. I, I, I said where I'd go here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I first have a question. Um, I think a lot of people are lumping the Roy Moore conversation into the Donald Trump conversation that we had before the campaign, before Trump was elected. And there are a lot of people saying, oh, look, Republicans are throwing virtue, throwing ethics, throwing morality out the window. Uh, is that the case here? I don't think so. I think they're, you know, if, the, if, if they were, there wouldn't be any problem at all, <laughs> right? right? I mean, pe- people wouldn't, wouldn't have any trouble or, or issue or difficulty at all, any hesitation. So that answers that question, at least in an obvious way. Yeah, and I think it's it's complicated, uh, like the case for Donald Trump was complicated. Uh, you know, similar arguments were made when uh, the tape came out, the now famous tape about Trump that, you know, we said that was 11, 12 years ago, and his recent behaviors demonstrate that he's a different person now. Uh, so it seems that, you know, the same charity in terms of that argument should be given to Roy Moore. I think the problem is that in his defense of himself, he's muddied the waters and he's made things worse in, in in many ways and you know he more or less admitted to dating younger girls and that he's had some inconsistencies in his story and so I think that's the problem I think most people would agree uh, that they would prefer another candidate given what they figured out but in many cases we're in a position like we were with uh, Donald Trump and then you have to take in this, into account a wider variety of factors like the political realities on the ground and so I think it it is a difficult decision I think it's wrong to paint it as a black and white decision, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I think so. Um, I think that's right. Um, we'll see what the people of Alabama decide, but I think that's it. Uh, again, you know, the obvious cliches are true. That's why they're obvious. You're not choosing a bishop. You're not choosing a parent. You're not even choosing a grandfather. Though, by all accounts, he's a pretty good one uh, on all those uh, on all those uh, standards. At least has been for the last forty years. Right. Um, why do I keep saying that? Because, you know, you take a man in the totality of his actions, and let's say some of this stuff is untoward and unseemly and is inappropriate and maybe worse as it is. It was a long, long time ago. And I, I think it was John, our, our friend John Hinderocker, who pointed out there's a reason we have statute of limitations. You know, memories get distorted, things get exaggerated, things get lost. I just, I, I don't know. Yeah, and and one other thing if I can add, it, it's like Roy Moore has gotten swept into this whole Harvey Weinstein mess and uh, Kevin Spacey and all these other things, and I think we do ourselves a disservice when we lump these all together. I mean, the Harvey Weinstein stuff is, some of that's very recent. Um, you know, they're talking about pursuing criminal charges against him uh, in some of these instances, and this Roy Moore stuff is from 40 years ago. Yeah. Um, and I think as conservatives, don't we believe that people can change? Um, and I think if we you apply to. some of the some yeah. of the argue, yeah some as of the arguments cons- we made as for Christians Trump, we do I mean right, we absolutely right. have to right right and I think if you apply some of the reasons we defended Trump uh, to be intellectually consistent you should apply some of those to Roy Moore as well. There's one other standard which I use in this and which was developed during the Clinton time and it was uh, developed to my memory by Kim Russert. If you're innocent of these charges, you stand on the rooftops and scream. You know, you just it's crazy. And um, he did. Right. Roy Moore did. 
But then lately, it's not been so unambiguous. Uh, and, and I think that's what gives some of us some problems. But having some problems is not the same as making a decision between what may be just two choices. Okay, let's move on. Before we get to today's featured interviews, let me tell you a little more about Donors Trust. It's no secret that the best policy ideas are not coming from politicians. Instead, they're coming from the think tanks, the public interest law centers, and other principled individuals and groups from around the country. And the best ones are those that do not rely on government money to operate. If you want to help move the ideas of liberty forward, invest your charitable giving in those doing the real work of conservative causes. And the simplest way to do this is through Donors Trust. Donors Trust is the community foundation for the liberty movement. With a donor-advised fund at Donors Trust, you'll simplify your giving and you'll receive excellent tax benefits, all in a way that gives you an additional layer of privacy. All donor-advised funds offer the same basic services, but Donors Trust is the only donor-advised fund that shares your commitment to conservative principles. Go to DonorsTrust.org slash Ricochet for your free Investing in Liberty guide. It gives practical advice on how to identify principle-driven charities that deserve your support. As we near the end of 2017, Donors Trust is the partner you need. The stock market is booming and the tax code is changing. Donors Trust experts can help you navigate all of this and equip you to give in a way that best benefits you, your family, and the principles you hold dear. Visit DonorsTrust.org slash Ricochet right now to download a free copy of your helpful guide. Discover a better way to support the conservative values you believe in. That's DonorsTrust.org slash Ricochet. You're listening to The Bill Bennett Show. It's my privilege to welcome back to the show my friend and one of America's titans of business, Steve Wynn. Steve is the chairman and CEO of Wynn Resorts, home to some of the best five-star resorts in the world. He's also the new finance chair of the Republican National Committee. Under his leadership, Republicans have been crushing Democrats in fundraising. However, last week, the Democrats finally got some wins of their own. Steve, let's talk about last week's elections. Democrats are saying it was a tsunami for them in Virginia and New Jersey. Big wins for them and big trouble for Republicans and the Republican team. Your thoughts? Yes. Um, here's what's going on. The election of 16 was a reactive election, one in which the American public and the working people said, don't like what's happening to us. Mr. Trump, you're going to fix it. We're on your side because you say you're going to fix it. All all you politicians, whether you're R's or D's, you say you're going to fix it, we'll give you our vote, show us. Very short-term, very temporary loyalty based upon frustration and dissatisfaction. Perform or I'll switch to someone else. They left their standard loyalties in those states to elect Mr. Trump. And his party, which has, has gained power in 10 and 14 in the House and Senate, and even again in 12 and in 16, only because they, the population was reacting negatively to things like the Affordable Care Act and the other aspects of the Obama administration. That kind of vote, that kind of loyalty, one must not take for granted. It's based on an a demand for action, a demand for a repair 
of what people perceive to be wrong. And that really, when it comes to their pocketbook, like health care costs, people get out and vote. Now, there are two things that happened in my view this week. In traditional New Jersey and Virginia, <clears throat> there was no substantial reason to depart from the, the patterns that have been in the past. They, they didn't think at the moment that the Republicans were doing a great job for them. They were angry at Chris Christie. So the Democratic leaning of the state sort of came out and they made a change from a, back to their traditional uh, sort of left of center attitudes in New Jersey. Virginia, the same thing. What was going on in Virginia was pocketbook voting. In a rainy, miserable day, the turnout in Alexandria, Arlington, and Fairfax where all the government workers are, was enormous because they're afraid that Trump may try and make the government smaller. There's, there's insecurity in the air. So the Northern Virginia turnout was great because they, the government workers think that the Huns have taken over the Capitol. And I understand that vote very well. The one that, that's interesting is the one in downstate races in Georgia where people who are traditionally Republican s expressed a different vote and elected Democrats in city and county elections. That is a reminder to the Republicans that they are in power because of the promises they made that resonated with the population. Yes. Break those promises and the reaction is even more severe than it would be ordinarily because you made them believe and then you, it's, it's almost as if you fooled them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't think that anybody fooled anybody. I think the voters tend to be a little fickle, but they're highly charged at the moment. Yep. And so they want performance and they tend to stamp, to, to pound the table if they don't get it. So you're going to see this kind of very strong reaction to non-performance. I, I remember saying to my friend, President Trump, the people that elected you will turn on you if you don't deliver. Yes. They turn their back on traditional things because you told them that you could make it better. You better do it. And he understands it in just those terms, incidentally. The tax bill, which I've been into, is, is going to be terrific. And it will begin to keep the promise in a very positive way. So it's interesting to see what happened in Georgia and Carolina. It is absolutely not dispositive of okay. anything in the future. In general terms, uh, for a moment, nothing politically is dispositive of a pattern <laughs> these days. Yeah, These two parties, candidates in every position, are on the line to deliver. Maybe it's, again, the media, the idea that 
people find it so much easier to get information, <clears throat> even if it's false or misleading. But between all the devices, people are more connected. And so therefore, they're more impatient. They're more aware of, short, of shortcomings of, of their government. They're more aware of the promises that people make. Therefore, they're more aware when they're not kept. People are more aware of what critics say. They're more aware of what people promoting ideas say. Everybody is hearing this stuff, and therefore they have an opinion about yeah. it. Before, when you're not so connected, you're more involved in your own life and things that are more immediately important. But now government has become the topic of the moment. In your face, cable news, everything, you can't get away from it. Right. And it's repetitious to the point of uh, hypnotic. So, so, Republicans take care of the tax bill. The president did a fabulous job in China. One of the best performances, you know, the single most powerful event, whether Americans realize it or not, the most powerful thing geopolitically for the next 50 years is a liaison, a partnership, a, a positive relationship between the People's Republic of China and the United States of America. And the way it's done is that you create these relationships very carefully with tremendous respect. Sure, China f misrepresents and connives to compete with us, and so do we do to other people. And that has always been the case. People conniving for their self-interest. However, we know in our own lives, and it is true in geopolitical reality, that when you establish strong relationships, person to person, between nations, person to person, between leaders of governments, then the dialogue changes. And the reality of those relationships could take on dimensional improvement. Mr. Trump, starting in Mar-a-Lago, has begun to have a relationship with this charismatic leader of China. Xi Jinping has solidified his position as core leader. He will be the, but there is no mystery about China, the leader of China for the foreseeable future, and I mean not just five years, will be the president of China, Xi Jinping. So now we know who is calling the shots in this giant country of a billion 300 odd people, billion 350, growing of course. That's a good thing. He's the head of the Communist Party, but he's a charismatic, practical person. The aspects of a market-based economy have taken their, their position in China. They can be modified, but they can't be reversed. So, we're their best customer and their potential most important ally in the world. And we're also competitors on one level or another. But we're competitors in Las Vegas and we're friends. Oh, we've, we always want to have the best customers. Yeah. But then we go to dinner. And at one level, we're very square with one another. Yeah. That's possible between us. And uh, Trump... Hit it 
right up the middle with this trip to China. His speech in Korea was terrific. A beautiful job of reminding everybody about the history of capitalism, a free market economy, and socialism and communism. Yes. There's a peninsula. It was a, a, it was a blank canvas. Half of it went one way, treating people with respect, with freedom, and, 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 and the ability to have a better life. The other half went for control and government and the loss of freedom. One is a desolate, miserable, starving dump, and the other is one of the most powerful industrialized nations in the world with the highest level of education of any industrialized country in the world, South Korea. Yeah. You know, and Trump doted and, and, and highlighted this historical, immutable fact. What a good point to make. Yes, a very good point to make. And this is why we needed to hear your perspective on the president's visit. Thank you, Steve. We'll continue the conversation next week. You're listening to The Bill Bennett Show. Bill Bennett Show. Folks, it is great uh, privilege and a great opportunity to welcome back to the show, to The Bill Bennett Show, John Hinderocker. John is a lawyer by training. Uh, he is a blogger at the uh, Great Powerline blog, and he is also, uh, maybe I should start with this, the president of the Center of the American Experiment, which is a great organization. How are you, John? I'm doing great, Bill. Tell me about Center. What are you guys up to these days? Well, we're fighting the good fight, Bill, on a lot of fronts. Uh, we are exposing the, uh, the, the failure of so-called green energy policy in Minnesota. We have just put out a new report on Minnesota's economy, which shows that it's uh, not doing particularly well. We are fighting the entrenched uh, public sector unions in, in this state, trying to, to break their power. We have got a big uh, uh, project that's going statewide where we are promoting alternatives to four-year college degrees, both to mm. help our young people get better jobs and also to help the state's economy uh, get, the, get the workers that our companies need. Uh, and that's just the beginning, Bill. We've, we've got a great. lot going on. Sounds great. great. Up to your usual stuff. And uh, they're lucky to have your leadership, John. John, let's jump in on things going on. Uh, Jeff Sessions uh, was on the grill yesterday uh, before a committee uh, in Washington. Uh, did you see any of it? How do you think he did? I didn't see it, Bill. I, I'm sure he did well. I'm a big fan of Sessions, as you probably know, but I was tied up all day yesterday okay. and I didn't see a minute of his appearance. I watched it and I just, again, this, this comes to, uh, you know, it seems to me, I, I describe it this way. You're running around a campaign. Uh, it's very busy. It's very crazy. Some young guy says, hey, you want me to make a connection with Putin? You go, no, 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 don't be silly. And then um, you're, you're slighted, you're criticized for not remembering that as a contact with the Russians. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's my summary I mean, of it. I think that's basically what happened. completely insane, Bill. Uh, yeah, there's okay. nothing wrong with somebody having a, quote, contact with the Russians. I mean, these people are just <laughs> grasping at straws to try to keep their silly 
theory of collusion alive. And what's so ironic about it, Bill, is that it now apparently is being accepted as a fact, although everything we know comes from, you know, news reports. Uh, But it's apparently being accepted as a fact that the Hillary Clinton campaign did collude with the Russians. Yeah, well, I want to get <laughs> to, to that. Elias and so forth. Uh, they, they paid for this uh, false dossier to be prepared. You know, not only did they collude with the Russians, they colluded in fabricating smears against the presidential candidate. It's unbelievable. All right, so they did collude, which leads us to the question of how do we get after that. Uh, do we need another special counsel appointment? You know, Bill, I've written two, about this. It's or one three. of these things where I'll write something, and I'll look at it the next day, and I'll ask myself, do I really believe that? Right. Or was I just being provocative, you know? Yeah. But I think I really believe it. I mean, and, and Paul Mirigoff, my partner on, on Powerline, as you know, has uh, has commented on my, on my post saying, no, 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 the special counsel uh, law is a bad idea. Republicans shouldn't fall into this. But I think that's part of, partly the point. It is a bad law. It is a bad practice. And we're seeing that with this Galdar and Mueller, now, the most recent news reports indicate that he's investigating Vin Weber. You know, the one time. Vin Weber? Yeah, Vin Weber. For what? He's been a lobbyist for 30 years or so, having served a couple of terms in, in Congress from Minnesota. And what Weber and one or two others are being investigated for by Mueller is supposedly <laughs> being agents of one of the uh, Ukrainian factions without registering as such with whatever the agency is. Well, what on God's green earth does that have to do with the subject Mueller was appointed to investigate, which is alleged collusion between the Trump campaign and Putin's regime. Right. Absolutely nothing. Let's step so, back. But, Let's go ahead. No, go ahead. Finish so, the so, but there are there are some legitimate scandals out there, and I think the only way we're going to drive a stake uh, through the special counsel law is by using that device against the Democrats. And I, you know, there's a, there are 20 or 30 Republicans, I think, head, headed by, uh, Congressman uh, Goodlotty, who, who back in July wrote a nice long letter to Attorney General Sessions itemizing 14 or 15 different things they think need to be yeah. investigated. So I, I yeah. do think that, uh, that, uh, Sessions and, and Trump should appoint at least one and maybe a couple. Oh. more special prosecutors and let's really well, it looks get like you've overcome your resistance a point one maybe a couple <laughs> yeah, I, I yeah, still... you know i think we should have one uh, special prosecutor for the uranium one scandal and that person should look into james comey's role and bob mueller's role in covering up that scandal because doesn't... it's i'm sorry doesn't this begin to look john like uh, a special counsel for your side special counsel for our side uh, and then a third just for, for measure, for fun. I mean, I, I, I hate the government by special counsel. And why do you think, I'm, I'm just pushing back a little bit, why do you think um, that Democrats would react to this by saying, oh, my goodness, look at all these special counsels, no more? They'd say, oh, would you add three? Well, I have six. Well, number one, I agree with you. I hate the special counsel uh, law, and I hate government by special counsel. The only thing I'll say in the in defense of the special counsel is that congressional committees, as investigators, are completely worthless. You know, various committees investigated Obama administration yeah, scandals yeah. for six, seven, eight years and got nowhere. They are completely worthless. But but look, as long as the Democrats view the special counsel law as one that they get a lot of mileage out of, but Republicans are too proud to use, uh, it's never going to go away. I I think when when, when it's Gore doxes on both sides, we've got a chance to get it repealed. 
All right, we'll come back to that and, and the substance of such an inquiry in a second. But let me ask a couple threshold questions about um, the special counsel now. When Mueller was appointed, I said, you know, I don't like special counsel. I don't like doing this. But if you're going to do this, um, Mueller seems to me to be a guy of, uh, of pretty substantial integrity. Um, was I wrong to say that? Well, it's looking that way. Bill, I mean, you know, it's so hard to make judgments about these guys. Uh, we don't know what they're like. Uh, yeah. And when all we read about them is in the New York Times and the Washington Post, you know, we all know what their agenda is to, to build yeah. people up yeah. and tear people down. Uh, you know, I, I think, you know, the, the Barack Obama and his administration corrupted everything they touched. And increasingly, it looks like they corrupted the FBI. That's a big topic that we could go yeah. on about for a long time. But who was running the FBI when it was corrupted by the Obama administration? Well, it was a combination of James Comey and, and Bob Mueller. Yeah. And the team that Mueller's appointed or Mueller's appointed is very liberal prosecutors or very liberal lawyers. Is that Appears right? To be, you know them, yeah, you most know of them. them are on record as donors to the Hillary Clinton campaign. Uh, it appears that he's got a you know a group of Democrat uh, true believers working with him. In what way has Sessions recusing himself added to this problem, or has it not? Well, um, <laughs> is that a separate I, issue? I, I think it. Added, I, I I don't know for sure, Bill, but but you know, I guess we don't know whether Sessions would have appointed. Uh, a special counsel, right? I mean, he recused himself from making that decision right. because the 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 point of the investigation had to do with the Trump election campaign, and he, while he was not an employee or you know uh, official in the campaign, he was kind of an informal advocate for the campaign at times. I, now, I don't think that was enough to recuse himself, but he yeah. was being super scrupulous, and he did. I like to think that Sessions would have had the sense not to appoint. Uh, a special counsel, and certainly okay. not to appoint uh, Mueller, but but we don't know that. What about Rosenstein at this point? What's your view of him? <laughs> I don't know. Okay. I don't know, Bill. You know, anytime you read in the in the Washington Post that somebody is a uh, he's nonpartisan, respected on both yeah, sure. sides, no, blah blah no, no. blah. Usually, I say, oh, he's a Democrat. <laughs> I know, no, I know. <laughs> you know, you know Washington better than I do, Bill. You know how that goes. Well, I just um, think, yeah, I, I do. Policies, personnel. I mean, you know, personnel's policy, and I just, I, I worry about that one. But go, yeah, okay, all right. Not enough said. Let's get into the substance then of what uh, a, a special counsel. Is there another way to do it, by the way, besides special counsel to look into this uranium one and the other collusion points among the Democrats? I well, guess the committees, which you've said, which yeah, you've that's said a great question. Work. I mean, there's no reason why anything, uh, if it, if it involves suspicion or probable cause of a federal crime, can't be investigated by the Department of Justice. Yeah. You know? uh, yeah. And 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 so, uh, if if we abolish the special counsel, as you and I think would be a good idea, you know, that's what would happen. We'd be back to the usual political accountability. If, the pre if it's something that reflects badly on the president's party and, and he doesn't want his Department of Justice to investigate it, you know, the only price he can pay for that is at the polls. The, the, the advantage of having a special counsel in this particular case is that um, you've, you've got a group of lawyers who are uniquely focused uh, on investigating a particular set of events as opposed to the zillion duties that they've got over on the Department of Justice. Uh, but secondly, you know, uh, Jeff Sessions is straining, like like all of Trump's or most of Trump's appointees are straining to take control over the agencies they're supposed to be no running. No kidding. 
No kidding. You know, and, and so just be, you appoint somebody attorney general, that doesn't mean he runs the Department of Justice. No, of course not. You know, those, the Department of Justice, like all these federal agencies, is overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly uh, staffed by Democrats. And in many instances, not all, but in many instances, they view their role as frustrating the policies of the of Republican course. administration and the Republican attorney general. This is one of the biggest problems we face in our government, Bill, as you, as you know. Yeah, no, I remember when I took uh, over at Department of Education, and I was like captain of a ship, welcome aboard, sir. Everyone saluted. They gave me my medals, my hat, showed me the steering wheel. I was down there steering to the right, steering to the right. <laughs> then we were still going to the left, and I said, you know, what's going on? I went down so that the wheel wasn't connected to anything. You know, the ropes were not tied to the rudders or, or to, you know, anything. So there are lots of saluting and whatever you want, sir. Meanwhile, this thing just goes merrily on its way, you know. And your orders are completely ignored. Yeah, but with, with a smile, you know, with a smile and a, and a yes, sir. Right. And, and so you've got to, I mean, I, I, I've told this story before, but you've got to not just go in there and be there. You've got to get your team in there, and you've got to get your team in there deep down at all the levels. So we we gradually did that, but it took a year or two, and then we got the nickname Fort Reagan, which meant I thought we were doing something right. but yeah. um, And we were, but we ended up, I think we ended up with 140 Schedule Cs, that is political appointees, in order to get it right. Because uh, just, just, to, just to have enough people to keep an eye on the career people, the swamp people, as we'd say now, uh, and, and and be able to correct them uh, and go in another direction just took a lot of manpower and a lot of effort. This is yep. a little bit like, you know, in the education world, John, you and I have talked before, all the power that's required to fire a really terrible teacher. Right. Um, you know, it just takes all your time. So uh-huh. I, I'm sorry not to go on. This is your interview, not mine. But it's very well. it's very important. I don't know how poor Jeff Sessions the other thing is you can't run a department or clean it up if you're constantly being called to, to account by the Washington Post and, and have to, having to appear before all these committees. And being insulted by Al Franken and, and his ilk. Yeah. Well, that's right. And this is, this is how the swamp makes war on yeah, the right. incoming Republican president. Let's go to the merits. Uh, tell me the merits of an investigation into what matters. Uh, what are the most consequential ones? Uh, uranium, uh, 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 the dossier, what? What? Well, I think those are the two. Um, we know that um, this British guy, Steele, was paid money, some of which came, as, as reported, from the Clinton campaign. And then later, the FBI apparently offered to continue the payments, right? Yeah, And, and, yeah. and he, he collaborated with a couple of Russians in fabricating this stupid set of documents about Donald Trump. Uh, some of which are known to be false. You know, the, the Trump aide who supposedly had a meeting in a country he'd never been to, he'd be photographed sure. his passport, you know. Uh, and others, uh, you can't say, are known to be false, but there's zero, zero reason to believe yeah. them. All this kind of salacious stuff. And then, they, and then they hand this so-called dossier to the American intelligence agencies, which promptly link, uh, leak it to the press. Yeah. And in the last two months of the campaign, uh, this fictitious dossier, which was uh, paid for initially by the Clinton campaign and then picked up in some fashion at some point by the FBI, became the basis for vicious attacks on, uh, on, on Donald Trump. That's the biggest scandal in the history of American elections. 
isn't it? I mean, I don't know of anything comparable to that. And it absolutely deserves to be investigated. And it sounds like somebody, Mark Elias, you know, somebody needs to go to, uh, to prison. So that, that's on the list. And the second thing that's on the list, uh, which may or may not uh, be related, probably isn't, but could be, is the whole Uranium One scandal, which initially, I think, was uncovered in uh, Clinton Cash, the book by, uh, uh, what's his name, Schweitzer. Schweitzer Peter Schweitzer. Uh, yeah. Peter Schweitzer. Um, and, you know, the, the Putin regime got control of about 20% of all the uranium in the United States in a deal that was approved yep. by Hillary yep. Clinton and that apparently was, was facilitated by millions of dollars in cash that, that flowed into the Clinton Foundation. Again, a huge scandal if that's what happened. And somebody needs to get to the bottom of it. Don't we think Mueller's people are on this a little bit, or we just don't trust them to be on it? Well, I've heard nothing to indicate that they're investigating any oh, of the really? things you and I oh. have just been talking about. All right, maybe uh, I'm yeah, confused. Maybe I, I don't think so. In fact, Mueller is involved in that scandal. Uh, okay. Bill. I mean, okay. Mueller headed the FBI at the time when the investigation quietly died to the immense consternation of the FBI agents who had been building the case. They had a case, and a combination of Comey and, and, and Mueller refused to pursue it. Well, that's At least, a, yeah. again, that's what's, that's what's been reported. No hope, you think, from these committees. Uh, let me just tell you why this nostalgia thing. Maybe, maybe I'm too much Washington, but I do have my, my, my people, my friends, my favorites. I saw at the podium the other day, front of one microphone uh peter king trey gowdy and ron DeSantis, and i thought boy you know those and they were all very good they're all very good and the, the problem is you get a trey gowdy who i think is great and he asks his six minutes of questions then you got to wait three hours for it to come back to him you know for a second round because you get all these all this extraneous stuff and a lot of people aren't so helpful in between I'm just t- talking out loud. I, I, the committee stuff, even though it has some real stars on our side who could get to the bottom of it, I think a guy like Gowdy could. It's just too much, too much Democrats, too much liberals, and too much uh, noise uh, from some of your colleagues. Well, you know, Bill, I, I mean, I think a guy like Gowdy is good. I think he could get to the bottom of some of these scandals if he used the tools that are normally available to lawyers. Well, but okay. The, but the institutional problem is that these committees. Um, yeah. They don't use those tools. They, they, don't, they don't compel the attendance of witnesses. If a witness yeah. says, I'd prefer not to appear, they say, okay, never mind. They request, for do- they request documents, but they don't subpoena them. Yeah, so okay. if the FBI, for example, as has happened recently, turns over, turns over a little tiny stack of documents and says, here's what we're giving you in response to your request, they don't have to account for everything they didn't provide. You know, okay. they just select a few things that they don't mind turning over. You know, I did litigation, as you know, Bill, for forty-one years, and I mean, sure. you know, if you if you if this was a subject of civil litigation, believe me, you know, we would yeah. get to the bottom of it. But but the 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 committees just don't have those powers. Maybe then back to the beginning of our conversation, John Hinderocker. Maybe then the special counsel, we appoint another one or two or three, and then the Democrats win and they appoint four or five, becomes part of our governing life. And we just say, well, this is something like bad weather uh, that uh, any president has to deal with, just the the omnipresence, constant presence of special counsels. Maybe that is. And and then it ceases to be such a big thing. It just becomes a fixture, a, a sidelight, and people don't, pay a ton of attention to it. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, again, just thinking out loud. 
Well, I think that what you described, Bill, would be better than what we have now, you know, okay. which is where okay. selectively uh, a, right. a special counsel gets appointed to harass a Republican, but it never happens to Democrats. I, I think if, if we had two or three going, pointing in different directions, it would, it would, I, I do think it would make it likely that you could get legislation passed abolishing the whole concept. John, um, last, last thoughts uh, on an entirely different topic, if you're willing. Okay, do you have another two minutes or so? Oh, absolutely, sure. This, this scouring of the land for any possible sexual harasser, and I don't mean to take it lightly. I think these things are very serious. And the Harvey Weinstein thing, my God, hiring these former Mossad agents to intimidate these women. Horrible. Unbelievable. But, I mean, there are degrees of, you know, culpability, and there are, some of these guys are much worse offenders than others. But I have been fascinated uh, by one political aspect of this, which is revisiting Bill Clinton. Have you noticed this? Did you see this in Atlantic and a few other columns? Yeah. Some of these liberal writers saying, well, you know, we really have to go back and talk about Clinton, and we probably didn't do this right. You know, uh, and uh, one thing I read yesterday, I think it was the Atlantic piece, reprinted the Gloria Steinem exoneration piece. Do you remember that way back when? Saying, well, you know, he acted like a bore, but, you know, he's our president, so let's move on. Uh, but they're now yeah. feeling that, you know, he, but, but some of them are very tough. They come back and they say, we need to rethink, rethink Clinton, and he's out of the club. He's gone. He's, he's, no, longer, he's no longer our guy. Well, yeah, I have so much I could say about that, Bill. Please, I mean, start. I, part of what's going on here is that I think uh, many, many Democrats are trying to get rid of the Clintons. <laughs> you know, okay, it's true that's that Bill true. Clinton is yeah. no longer their guy. Uh, they don't but he's the smart one, isn't party. he? Isn't he Pardon the me? smart one, though? Isn't he the skillful one? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he's yeah, yeah, the genius yeah. that brought them back from oblivion. Yeah, sure, uh, sure. Absolutely. But, I'm, you know, many Democrats, most Democrats nowadays, don't really want to be remembered as the party of Wall Street, which was what uh, Bill Clinton was. And the party who that, that <coughs> knew, as Bill Clinton did, how to appeal to working-class whites. Yeah, you know? yeah. And, and, and that whole approach is, is on the outs. And so I think they're throwing uh, Bill overboard at a time when, frankly, they would just as soon throw him, over, uh, just as soon throw him overboard anyway. You know, this whole uh, series of scandals and so on that have just come out, I mean, culminating, the one that's important at the moment is, of course, Roy Moore. Now, I've never been a fan of Roy Moore. I would not have voted for him in the primary. I don't relish the idea of having him in the Senate. But I, I just laugh, Bill, at the fact that these his opponents, the Washington Post and so on, have not been able to come up with a single thing that he's done wrong in 40 years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, if, if Roy Moore survives this and wins the election, he's going to be the most upright member of the United yeah. States Senate. Well, I guess that's very we funny. We can tell he hasn't that's committed a sin in 40 years. I mean, yeah. I just find that astonishing. This is a new, gives new meaning to the phrase original sin, you know. <laughs> this is, I mean, 40, year, yeah, 40 years ago. I am troubled, too. I am troubled. The thing, one of the things that troubles me, these things stay in your head, is apparently he was banned from his presence. He was not allowed at this shopping center. Apparently that's true. Had you heard about this? I hadn't heard that one, you yeah, know? Yeah. Um, but again, my first question is when? You know, here's a oh, man. Oh, yeah, no, who, a long time ago. No, yeah, no, long here's time a man ago. who's been married to the same woman for 33 years, I believe is the number. He's got multiple children and grandchildren. Uh, certainly, since the Carter administration, he hasn't been accused of doing anything untoward. And at no time has he been accused of doing anything even remotely like what yeah. Bill Clinton did, you know? Yeah. Uh, it's, it's just another example of the pervasive double standard. 
Yeah. Well, we'll see. Boy, they better they better decide though, because right now it's like, well, Moore's our guy, and we got to vote for him, or there'll be a Democrat, or we're going to have a write-in. I mean, uh, there better be a decision, or you're going to get a split. You're going to have a Do bunch of people. Do write-ins ever win, Bill? You you're better on this history than I am. I mean, is that is that a realistic option? Do you think? Yeah, I, I can't think, but there was there was a write-in that won. Um, wasn't there a write-in that won in Alaska? Alaska, yeah, not, yeah. not too, yeah. yeah, not long ago. I think I think a write-in was won in Alaska. Lisa? So was that Lisa? Yeah, and, maybe. was that after Stevens got convicted? Must have been. Yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, I mean, uh, to me, the idea of a write-in, particularly if 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 Moore retains some uh, supporters, which he would, I'm sure, you know. Um, I, I, to me, uh, the idea of a write-in seems uh, like right. a pretty forlorn hope. So hold your nose, even though it doesn't stink so bad after 40 years, right? Um, my guess, I, although it's still noxious behavior that's that's alleged, uh, because you don't want to give the seat to the Democrat and then get somebody else in, in three years, right? Well, that's right. Three years ago, when Jeff Sessions ran for re-election, the Democrats didn't even oppose him. They didn't run a candidate. Yeah, and sure. now, in effect, the Washington Post and others are trying to steal the seat for the Democratic Party by dredging up this uh, ancient history. And I guess the bottom line for me is, if this man hasn't done anything wrong in the last 35 years, uh, regardless of other reservations I've got about him as a candidate, um, you know, it beats the heck out of giving the seat to the Democrats. It's a very interesting perspective. I mean, <laughs> your comment, which is, okay, but what about the last 40 years? You know, if we if we are, you know, I get asked about this because of the Book of Virtues, you know, people say, well, what do you, how do you tell a good guy? I say, well, you take a man in the totality of his actions, right? Totality of his actions. Remember the line in Shakespeare, his taints and honors waged equal with him. Uh, it looks like honors have been, uh, you know, pretty much on his side for 35, 40 years. That's better than a lot of us. Yeah, I don't know how many of us, Bill, would really want somebody poking around at every single thing we did back in the 1970s. No, I, mean, I know. know. No, I know. No, I know. No, Man, I know. I'd love to see that standard applied uniformly in Washington. No kidding. All right. Very interesting. John, thank you very much. Uh, keep up your great work. Congratulations on your work at the Center of the American Experiment. And how do people get more info, by the way, if they want to find out? AmericanExperiment.org. That's our website, and that's a real quick, easy way not only to uh, catch up on what the center is doing, but also we have daily commentary on news of the day, particularly Great. as it relates to Minnesota. It's a, it's a good, lively website, AmericanExperiment.org, uh, and, uh, and, and listeners can go there. How does it stack up with Powerline, would you say? Well, the traffic is not as much as power lines yet, but it's yeah, growing faster it's growing, yeah. no. <laughs> from, a, you know, from a smaller base. But no, we're, we're trying to turn our, our website into the daily location where people, especially in Minnesota, go for the other side of the news. So you read a story about what's yep. happening, for example, at the Minnesota Capitol, and you think, huh, I'd like to hear what some conservatives think about that story. Yeah, and you don't, and, you don't, and, and, and that, that's where you can go. You don't cover world beauty pageants, though, like uh, Powerline does, right? Uh, not yet. Not yet. Okay. All right. Minnesota <laughs> bit, beauty pageant, Minnesota State Fair, maybe? Uh, yes, exactly. Okay. Uh, it's okay. not quite the same, but yeah. Gotcha. In, all, all, in all seriousness, Bill, one of the things I am doing with the American Experiment site is I'm trying to get our staff more into covering cultural events, Good. sports Good. events, yes. and so Great. forth. Because, you know, people don't come to a website out of a sense of duty. You know, they come uh, because they want to see what's going to, you know, something interesting is going to be there. Something fun is going to be there. No, I know. And people don't appreciate the power of the culture. And uh, somebody mentioned um, the other day, they were saying to someone, well, that 
that conflict you got in Alabama. He said, yeah, the guy said, yeah, but that'll be resolved on uh, in the Iron Bowl. You know, Auburn versus Alabama. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> who, Roy who? Yeah. All right. Thank you, John. All right. Thank, thank you, you, Bill. Hey, as always, thank you. You're listening to The Bill Bennett Show. Well, think back to all the predictions, folks. Think back to all the things that the experts said, all of the predictions and prophecies about Donald Trump. I was watching that in election night stuff, and we're facing doom and disaster, and we are going to be, well, words can't be repeated that were said even on television. Um, first, they said there was no way uh, he could win the Republican primary. Then, of course, there was no way he could beat Hillary. After he won, they said uh, he would ruin everything, but especially the economy. Uh, they said he'd act like a dictator. He'd start trade wars. He'd start a nuclear war with North Korea or Iran, uh, and one could go on. Uh, here to discuss all the ways the experts have Trump wrong and why they continue to get him wrong, particularly in regard to the economy, is Joel Farkas. He's a director of the American Strategy Group. Each week, the American Strategy Group brings us important conversations, like the one we're about to have, about the state and well-being of our republic. To learn more about the American Strategy Group, go to amstrategy.org or facebook.com slash amstrategy. Welcome back to the program, Joel. Thank you, Bill. Great to have you. All right, let's um, let's start. Uh, the Experts said Trump and the economy, the market would crash if he won. Your comment. Experts are wrong. Uh, experts are not so expert, uh, are they? Um, I guess when they become a professor or a Nobel laureate that uh, presumes that they can now see into the future, make yeah. predictions, yeah. Yeah. they can't. Uh, the market they, would uh, crash. Is, uh, I mean, that's it's a fact. It did or it didn't, did it? The market did not crash. Market went up. So did uh, so is uh, employment's gotten better, and so has our uh, our GDP. All of it's gotten better. Amazing, amazing, and confidence too. Obviously, a lot more confidence. Trump and immigration. Um, they said it was all talk, and he couldn't be serious about immigration. Once he won, that he wouldn't be. Uh, he would forget everything he promised in the campaign. But look at the drop in border crossings, and uh, and he's moving forward on the wall. I think was it you your phrase? You said he used to he built a rhetorical wall. I I, uh, I like that phrase. I, I I don't know if I said it or not, but I, if I didn't, I wish I would have. Because yeah, will say you. He did. is a leader. <laughs> he is a leader, and uh, leaders uh, set the agenda, and that's what he has done. He set the agenda with. Um, with uh, the focus on jobs, he set the uh, agenda with the focus on immigration and immigration and jobs as, as president Trump um, has laid out uh, during his campaign. And since he's been president have been uh, one and the same. And that's his, uh, he, he, uh, his critics like to describe many other topics um, uh, to, you know, call him a tyrant, a protectionist, a, a exacerbating income inequality, but uh, President Trump is really focused on American jobs and the American economy. And uh, he's, his, uh, whether it's rhetoric or whether it's physical action, he's, he's done a good job. And, and you've pointed out, uh, I think you're the first one to do it, that he's been imitated by some other presidents for doing this, some other country leaders. Uh, in one of our last discussions, you pointed out that uh, Macron in France and the president of India 
have uh, both uh, imitated Trump, and these are not always countries that uh, like to do what the U.S. is doing. Modi, isn't it? Uh, correct. Um, and not only India and France, Argentina, Brazil. Yeah. Yep. Uh, we can go around the world. We can go to South America. And Mauricio Macri, you know, the Argentinian uh, uh, president, he uh, just recently, within the last few weeks, said um, his focus now, right now, going forward, is to reduce taxes. He said reducing taxes will encourage more growth, more jobs. It'll discourage people trying to avoid taxation. And he laid that, uh, laid that uh, uh, policy out as his focus for next year. Um, you know, many of these experts that, uh, that have, uh, have, you know, a lot of the, they have degrees, but they write columns too. They also talk about um, uh, labor policies. Well, Brazil and, and Argentina, Ar- Ar- uh, and, 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 and the Argentinian uh, country and the people, they are also relaxing their, con- their restrictive confiscatory labor policies to allow more cooperation between businesses and people. Um, and and uh, pretty much everything down the line of what President Trump has proposed as an economic policy is has been and is continued to be continually being imitated by other leaders around the world we have a we have a a european country in france southeast asia south america we could go around the world and see this what's what is it you know you you circle back to where you started joel with the experts nobel prize winners uh, uh professors what is it that he knows? I mean, he went to Wharton, you know, Pennsylvania, Wharton, pretty good place. <laughs> but what is it that he knows that the professors who teach at Wharton, or some of them, don't seem to know? Uh, really, a couple very basic points. Um, he knows that if you're going to create jobs, you have to have more people working. Now, it seems absurd that I just said that. Wait a minute, but, if you're going to create more jobs, you got more people working. Yeah, right. Go it, ahead. It seems absurd <laughs> that I would even have to say that. But many of the economists, the people that you just described and I've been describing, they look at revenue to be generated by a government to expand the revenue base. In their mind, expanding the revenue base means they are creating more areas where they tax. When... Donald Trump understands expanding the revenue base is having more taxpayers. That doesn't mean you have to tax more. You just have to have more people participating. And it's really that, that simple. A, a progressive, uh, liberal perspective is to create more revenue by more taxes, higher taxes, in more areas. And uh, President Trump says, no, that's, that's going to hurt people. It's going to hurt businesses. It's going to hurt people. So the object is to create jobs. If you have more jobs, you have more people paying taxes, and that's good for everyone. Why, why don't they? Why don't they know that? You know, you know, what's going on in my mind here is fake news, real news, facts, not facts. I mean, don't don't a, loaded question. Don't economists know facts? <laughs> economists uh, know facts. And in many cases, facts which support their opinions, 
the issue is an opinion versus a fact. There's okay. a couple of facts that we uh, we hear um, uh, some of the naysayers about President Trump's tax policy, and that we hear it uh, it's, 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 a, it's emotionally charged. It's his tax part policies will kill affordable housing. It's going to hurt people. Affordability is going to go out the window. Well, President Trump didn't create an affordable housing crisis. We have the interesting thing. We have cities, New York, San Francisco, Los Angeles, Boston, Miami, Seattle. The one thing all of those cities have in common is $500,000 will buy you maybe a 300 to 900 square foot house. Maybe. Yeah. Now, I don't think that President Trump needs to be lectured by those states and those cities about affordability. We, uh, 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 500000 doesn't even get you a 350-square-foot house in San Francisco. So the headlines that affordable housing is going to be won by President Trump is just absurd. Uh, yeah. we, we, we have economic models, Bill. We, we, we know economic models. The economic models are, are Venezuela, Brazil, Argent, um, uh, the Argent, Argentina, uh, France. These are models that have not worked. And these countries are trying to change it. We don't need an economic model from a Nobel laureate. All right. Uh, you know, speaking of, of one side of this, which is the economist side and then the fake news or phony news side, the press side, um, I'm curious, and I know my colleague Chris Beach is curious, as to what's the press's reaction, not just to Donald Trump. We know that all too well. What's the press's reaction to Modi, to what they're doing in Argentina uh, to Macron in France, uh, they're ignoring him. Um, their their reaction, uh, typically, to the extent they would even cover um, uh, the Argentinian president, they would say that um, people are worried. the The subsidies for utilities have been taken away, and they will they will describe this uh, something that in that negative pejorative way. Uh, when in fact, the inflation rate in, Argent- in, uh, in the Argentinian economy has been dramatically reduced. The, the, the borrowing capability, the, 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 um, the ability for, our, for the country to borrow funds, their interest rates have, have dropped precipitously. People are getting back to work. He has really created a, an amazing turnaround for a country that was really just uh, not even called an emerging country. It was called almost a third world country. Uh, But the press is not covering that. Um, Mm -hmm. And in fact, um, uh, we see not very far away from that country. We see Venezuela. We see people there who are just, these are quotes, they're fed up. They're scared. They're angry. These are, these are the, the, this is the quotes you receive from people who live under that uh, socialist, tyranny and they are scared and they are hungry um the government subsidized in venezuela their food and their and their utilities and this is what they ended up with the interesting uh you mentioned headlines just in the last couple of weeks there's two headlines that struck me number one the united states by the international energy agency uh, is 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 described as the world's largest growing oil produ- uh, exporter producer in the in the history of the world, rivaling Saudi Arabia from the 60s to the 80s. 
The next headline was Venezuela has, by OPEC, the lowest oil production in, in 28 years. You have two obvious, distinct, different examples of two countries. One has massive reserves that has killed their economy. The other supports freedom and liberty, and our economy is growing. Right. Right. All right. Let, let's bring it home, um, particularly. You and I recently had a conversation about uh, California and what's going on in California and the reaction of Californians, people of your acquaintance and knowledge and familiarity for years. You, you, you noted some things about, I hope I'm not being too uh, oblique here, uh, about, about their attitude and reaction to Donald Trump and to the shifts in the economy that um, were, were very interesting. They surprised you, people you'd known for years and years, and you, you talked about their reaction, particularly uh, to some of this economic news we're talking about. It's always interesting for the rest of us who don't live in California to hear what Californians are thinking. Well, if you live on the coast in California, you have a very expensive home, you're very wealthy, and you have beautiful weather, and you also hate Donald Trump. You just, just <laughs> viscerally hate Donald Trump. <laughs> if you live inland, in the Central Valley or any place inland, uh, you are in the, in the ilk of the country's, some of the country's worst economic circumstances. In many cases, California has significant massive amounts of poverty. And it's, uh, it's just a visceral dislike for the man. But what's interesting, when you talk about the policies and don't ascribe a name to it, people have a different perspective. Um, because a lot of his policies, the reason they're being emulated is because they're good policies. People like them. You know, the, 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 we always hear uh, what, people who don't like Donald Trump in generally and in California, they'll say, we have the worst income inequality that we've ever seen. In the, the worst what? Income inequality. Okay. Well, that, that, that's just, it, it's just kind of a nonsensical term. We've just we've seen reports of the top, you know, how many, the 1% of the people own X percentage of the world's wealth and those kinds of things. The top 10 richest people see this list all the time. Who are the top 10 richest people? The guy who started Ikea. Uh, the, the number one richest guy in the world is from Spain. There's a, 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 a soft goods company, called, a fashion company called Zara. Bill Gates, Mark Zuckerberg, people like that. Do you think, does anyone truly think that Vladimir Putin or the Chinese premier or Androgen in Turkey or any of these, 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 these rulers around the world are scared of the top 10 richest people on that list? They sell furniture. They have an Internet company. They sell, they sell clothes. I mean, this, 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 this is a nonsensical discussion of the, the, the presumed wealth income inequality what is lacking and what the what the people were talking about that uh, i don't think see it is the best way is to to allow more people to participate not to take away from someone allow more people to participate 
to create abundance of energy so you can have low-cost utilities. Every single human being in the world has to pay a utility bill. We, all, we know that. And the higher they are, the, the people who are the least among us suffer the most. Everyone has to buy food. These are the kinds of things that hurt people. And the way to solve it is more abundance and lower cost. Not have a government subsidize those functions. When the government subsidizes those functions, we have seen what happens. It fails. Are Californians, you and I had this discussion. I said, I fear that, you know, we may be coming in some places in California and elsewhere, you know, like uh, some some third world country where you've got you know, some few very, very rich people on top, and then the rest are very poor, no middle and no middle class. Um, uh, go ahead. The very rich people think the answer is, let's give people people who don't have anything something. Let's give them something. Uh-huh. Let's give them some more. Right. Well, what you, <laughs> the idea is, um, we're going to help the people. Well, what? What we've seen, and we've seen not only in the countries you've mentioned, but in Chile and other countries, uh, the, the, the people who are the richest, the people who are the most powerful, people who are in power, when they're helping these people, what they've done is they've helped them stay in perpetual poverty. You're not helping them by giving them something you think they should have. You help them by allowing them an opportunity. This country, United States, is the finest country in the history of the world to allow and create liberty. The, 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 in, in the 20th century, there's no other country, and this President Rangit uh, uh, said this many, many times, no other country, living people in the history of the world that we're living today, have done more to help liberate people. We don't, we don't conquer, and we're not out for conquest. We are liberating people. It's no different with the economy, to liberate, allow people the liberty to participate. Not just it doesn't work when you just give them something. It's illusory. Got it. Got it. Why the resentment of Trump then? I mean, I presume some of these people have gotten even you know, you, where you started here, you said they you live in beautiful houses, they make a lot of money and they hate Trump. I, I presume some of these people are even doing pretty well under Trump and, and, and may look forward to doing even better. They I, my first answer is, I don't know why someone hates somebody that much. No. I'm, I'm still surprised at the visceral dislike of this, this man. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. By the way, this man happens to be an American. Mm-hmm. I don't know hardly anybody in America that the people we're talking about hate this much, including people who've committed murder. I just have never, I'm joking, but I just haven't seen it before. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's deep, isn't it? I, deep, visceral, and and uh, and and not to be um, not to be calmed down, not to be the the pressure doesn't go off. The, they keep ratcheting it up, screaming at the sky, you know. And when they when when people are talking about you know, again taxes again, so nobody nobody can dispute. And this is this we t- we talked we started off about what are facts that economists and people should look at. Nobody can dispute that raising taxes continually will hurt the economy. There's a point where raising taxes will hurt an economy. It's indisputable. Um, 
The argument seems to be the best argument against President Trump's proposal is, and this is an argument I don't agree with, but the best argument can be, we're not sure we understand the evidence of the benefits of reducing taxes. So it's, it's an interesting reason to be angry. We know that if you keep raising them, it hurts. But we shouldn't reduce them because we are not convinced that reducing them helps. Yeah, I see. That's the best argument that opponents can muster. I see. I want to um, conclude our discussion today, um, or at least offer the opportunity to you. You were kind to write me about uh, the American Patriots Almanac. I'm, I'm so pleased that you look at it on some days. Um, this week is the 38th anniversary of Ronald Reagan's announcement to run for president. Um, you wrote, in addition to the shining city on the hill and the rendezvous with destiny, he detailed tax reform. Uh, American Patriots Almanac reference to Moby Dick. You talked about that, yeah. Reminded us of the American pursuit of frontiers and the dignity of the common man. Uh, these are themes that mirror some Trump ideals, you say. Speak briefly to that. Um, President Reagan gave an address and wrote a speech when he announced his presidency, his effort to become president. And uh, some very famous phrases that we love, but he also also mentioned that, that people, the difference between an American and another kind of person is, um, and I'll kind of paraphrase, American lives in anticipation of the future because he knows it will be a great place. Um, other people t- tell us that they, they must learn to live with less and teach our children that mm-hmm. the, the coming years will be a place. Because of our past excesses, people, America will become a place because of our past excesses. Mm-hmm. And it'll be mm-hmm. impossible to dream and make those dreams come true. These are things that President Reagan said in his address. And he concluded with that the thought. He says, I don't believe that. And I don't believe you do either. And I cannot stand and will not stand by and see this great country destroy itself. Right, right. Donald Trump ran for office. He's, you know, he's not a, he's not a young man. He's got four years, maybe eight years. He's not trying to you know, conquer um, the, the rest of the United States for the rest of the next 50 years. He ran, and I think people believe and see and understand, he ran because he didn't want to see this great country destroyed. And with, whether you like him or dislike him, I believe that that's in his heart. Yes. Yes. You know, you and I have talked before about how, you know, we talk to people who really hate Trump, dislike Trump, and I always say, well, I, I point to four things, the appointment of Neil Gorsuch, uh, the fact the economy is moving, as you and I have talked about today and before, the fact that uh, he talked about immigration and this rhetorical wall has cut off the flow by 60 70%, um, the fact that he said he would crush ISIS and he's crushing ISIS, those four things, but maybe... Maybe Joel Farr, because it was something else at the, at the end. Maybe it was that Reagan-like idea of making America great again, believing in the future that distinguished him and reminded Americans of who they are at their best. Yes, 
and not only make a, make America great again, but that America is great. Yeah. America is great. Yeah. We have done more, again, as we just talked a little bit, the American citizens living today, today, have done more to help and fight and conquer tyranny than any other civilization in the history of the world. We're not a bad group of people. We love liberty. Great. Great. I think we can leave it there. Uh, we thank you very much, Joel Farkas, American Strategy Group. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you, Bill. Great to talk to you. All right, we have to leave it there for today. Another good show in the books. Please continue to tell your friends about this podcast. We are growing, growing, growing. Uh, tell people that aren't your friends. Tell people who disagree with you. They're still talking to you, particularly if you're a Trump voter. More of America needs to hear the wisdom of the Steve Wins, Joel Farkses, and John Hinderockers. I will talk to you next week. I, too, in addition to them. I don't know if you need what I'm saying, but uh, we gather smart people around this table. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks so much for listening.